This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu to download or purchase this book. The Philosophy of the Christian Curriculum, Russus J. Rushtuni, Ross House Books, Vallecito, California. Part 4 Chapter 7 Biblical Motivation for Teachers and Students The word motivation comes from the Latin movere, motum, to move. A motive or motivation is that which moves a man to action. From the biblical perspective, motivation is both natural and educated. Thus, the motivation of the humanity of Adam I, of fallen man, is the desire to be as God, to determine or know for oneself what is good and evil. Genesis 3.5 This motivation is natural to fallen man. Sin is basic to his being, that is, lawlessness, for sin is the transgression of the law, end quote. God's law, 1 John 3, 4. St. Paul is emphatic that, quote, there is none righteous, no, not one, end quote. Quote, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, end quote. Romans 3, 10, 23. Sin comes naturally to fallen man. On the other hand, the sophistication of sin requires education in sin. The unregenerate Australian native and unregenerate Russian or Chinese communist are like sinners, but the sin of the communist is more deadly because its motivation is not only a natural love of evil, but an educated one as well. Education enhances the scope of both good and evil. The Christian teacher and student alike have in Christ a new nature. As such, they have, despite the continuing effects of sin in this life, a natural motivation to righteousness, like their Lord, their new creature cries out, quote, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God, end quote, Hebrews 10.7. Thus, the Christian child has a motivation to serve and enjoy God by virtue of his new nature, but needs, at the same time, training and discipline in the life of faith and the knowledge thereof. We can understand motivation better by citing the fourfold estate of man. First, in the estate of innocence, in Eden, man's motivation and will were wholly good, but with the possibility of sinning. In this estate, man was given a task to till and keep the garden, to classify or name the animals, and to discover the best possible ways to live and function in the Garden of Eden. Second, in the state of depravity, fallen man had and has a will which is wholly evil and a motive which is to be his own God, knowing or determining good and evil for himself and in terms of his will. The growth of fallen man is in terms of evil. Third, in the state of grace, redeemed man, while still capable of sin, has a righteousness imputed to him and a new nature given or created in him, so that his essential motivation is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To do so, he needs education and development in terms of Christ's kingdom. Fourth, in the state of glory, man is wholly good in will and motive and is perfectly sanctified, so that the possibility of sin is removed from him, so that the possibility of sin is removed from him. The Christian school will be dealing with children who are either in the state of depravity or in the state of grace. It will have both within its classes. 
The teacher sows the seed of God's word, not knowing whether the ground be stony or fertile. Matthew 13, 1-9, in most cases. How shall the teacher view the pupils? First of all, the work of regeneration is God's task, and it is only within his power. Those who are regenerate, man- those who are regenerate manifest that fact in conversion, that is, in faith and repentance, and man can play a part in conversion. The school, however, is not a church. Its task is teaching, not conversion, although the ministry of the school is most effectual toward that goal. Second, in many or most cases, the teacher cannot ascertain with assurance whether or not a child is a covenant keeper or a covenant breaker, whether in the state of grace or the state of depravity. Looking back on my own boyhood schoolmates, I find that some who were docile and well-behaved later showed a reprobate nature, while some who were chronically restless and troublesome or impish only grew in grace and faith. It is easy to confuse a hereditary disposition to energy with rebelliousness. There is, however, a third factor. Behind acceptable behaviour, behind a conformity to biblical morality and norms, there are two factors, faith and the forming of sound and strong habits. In colonial and early America, because all schooling was rigorously Christian, deeply ingrained habits provided a tremendous break on sin. In 1815, the average age of criminals was 45. In 1960, it was 19. Thus, even for those in the state of depravity, a firm and substantial body of habits and years of training provided the positive results which inhibit and limit the workings of depravity. St. Paul speaks of this in Romans 13, 1-7. Quote, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their duties, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Usually, the meaning of this text is limited to civil authorities, to whom it clearly does apply, and, and only too seldom is it noted that the text has a broader application, as verse 7 indicates. Verse 1 is general. It is, quote, the higher powers, end quote, who are to be obeyed. This obedience, of course, is always limited by our prior obedience to the Lord. No earthly power can command an unconditional obedience from us. Only the Lord can. Paul thus refers to all, quote, the powers that be, end quote. This includes teachers and parents. The broadness of reference is apparent in verse 3, where doing good brings forth praise, something civil authorities do not commonly give. Paul's point is that, beginning with civil authorities, but certainly inclusive of all the powers that be, 
God-ordained and faithful authorities will be a terror to evil works and the praise of good works. In our day, this has been reversed. Sin is not seen as depravity, but as deprivation. As a result, the powers that be seek to, quote, make it up, end quote, to the sinner, to remedy the, quote, lack, end quote, with love, special attention and subsidies. As a result, such persons have created a market for evildoers. Sin pays when it is viewed as deprivation, and the righteous are penalised. The Christian school must restore God's requirements in order to get good results. The sinners and the lazy need to be afraid, and the godly need to be encouraged and praised. Some Christian schools seek to commend virtually every pupil for, for public relations purposes. In one school, first graders received a large number of awards. Almost every class member received one for the best personality, most popular boy, most popular girl, and so on and on. There was one award for scholarship, and the second best student was one of the two students who received no award or certificate. Such a procedure is only evil and certainly not productive of sound motivation in the pupils. Sound motivation is also important for teachers. Scripture says that the labourer is worthy of his hire, that is, should be well paid, Luke 10, 7, 1 Timothy 5:18. Newly established schools and small schools cannot always meet this requirement as well as they should, but it must be remembered that we cannot ask the teachers to subsidise the school's children's parents by keeping tuition low and therefore salaries low. This is a sin, and it is not blessed of the Lord. In the educational process, the central motivating force, other than the grace and power of God, is the Word of God, which must be at the heart of the Christian school curriculum. Paul, in writing to Timothy, declares, quote, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learnt and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. End quote. 2 Timothy 3, 14-17 Paul gives us here an excellent statement concerning motivation in Christian education. First, the Bible alone can make us, quote, wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, end quote. Moreover, quote, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, end quote. Romans 10, 17. Timothy's schooling had been Bible-based. Second, Scripture being inspired of God gives us the only sound doctrine infallible reproof and correction, and instruction in God's righteousness or justice. Third, the purpose of all this is, quote, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, end quote. All too many pastors and teachers assume that the goal of their work is to save souls for Jesus Christ. This is not the goal. It is the starting point of their calling. The goal is to train up those under authority in God's word so that they are well fitted and thoroughly equipped for all good work, to go forth and to exercise dominion in the name of the Lord and for his kingdom. Genesis 1, 26-28, Joshua 1, 1-9, Matthew 28, 18-20. We are not saved just to be saved, but to serve the Lord. 
we are not the focus of salvation, the Lord's calling and kingdom are. It is imperative, therefore, that the motivation of the Christian school be to train up dominion men and women. Education itself is a key to dominion, and hence the hostility of the humanists to the rise of the Christian school. The Lord says to us, wherever we are, quote, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or justice, end quote, Matthew 6.33, so that we are called to train up the king's men, his instruments for dominion, in order to bring every area of life and thought into captivity to Jesus Christ. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.